Hey everybody, this is Emily Nagoski and Amelia Nagoski and you're listening to the Feminist Survival Project 2020. It's a podcast for anyone who believes that being a woman is neither a medical problem nor a moral failing and who happens to be overwhelmed and exhausted by everything they have to do yet still worried that they're not doing enough. Today's topic is sleep. Two episodes ago, we talked about the cultural barriers that stand between us and the rest we require. The ultra short summary is the giving mandate of being a human giver syndrome. See episode, I think, two Two. of the podcast extends from the second shift of housework and childcare into the third shift where women are expected to sacrifice their sleep in the name of everyone else's comfort and convenience. To overcome that barrier, we require the bubble of love, which we talked about in the last podcast, a protective pocket of trust and connection where our rest is celebrated and we celebrate the rest of our loved ones instead of feeling deprived and competitive and inadequate. And that right there is the solution to burnout. And because everyone knows sleep is important, we assumed, especially I assume, that everyone already knows the basics of how to sleep, but it turns out... No, <laughs> no, no. Emily has an hour long talk that Hold she up. gave to Smith's student. She would like go on and on. And I was like, Emily, no, we have to just you've eight minutes to talk about sleep and that's it. But we get to the end of the workshop and people be like, let's go back to that sleep stuff. Can we and, ever can we hear that hour long talk? Can, yeah. Can we have the whole hour, please? Like, how much sleep do I really need? What should I do if I can't fall asleep? Is it bad if I wake up in the middle of the night? Melatonin. Can I can I take that every day? How about napping? Yes. No. How long? What, what if, if I, I feel worse? That's my favorite question. We're going to talk students, about that one. And that like that's one of the things I learned writing the book that changed so much about my actual daily life. So many questions about naps. Yeah. Uh, So we're going to talk about sleep. Before we do that, we want to reiterate sort of the three important characteristics of the way we approach wellness. If you have heard this before, feel free to skip ahead a minute. But if you are new to the podcast, this is going to be an important sort of like framework for how we talk about wellness. One, wellness is not a state of mind. It is not a state of being. Wellness is a state of action. It is moving freely through the cycles and oscillations of living in a mammalian body. What this looks like in practice is granting your body opportunities that it requires to rest and to work. That's the cycle and oscillation, to connect and to be independent, to feel stress and to find your way to physical safety. That's one. Two, the burnout cure isn't self-care. Self-care is the fallout shelter you build in your basement because apparently it's your job to protect yourself from nuclear war. The cure instead, not self-care, but simply care. It is all of us caring for each other. What this looks like in practice is uh, when you think you need grit, what you actually need is more help. When you think you need more discipline, you need more kindness. And when you think others need more grit, What they need is more help. And when you think they need more discipline, what they need is more kindness. That's two. One was wellness is a state of action. It's the freedom to complete cycles. Two, the cure for burnout is not self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. It's not grit and discipline. It's help and kindness. And three, these two key ideas are part of the larger solution. They're not just ways to survive while we work on making the world a better place. Mm -hmm. When the needs of our bodies take up as much space as they require in our lives, and we each turn toward each other's needs with kindness and compassion, 
We are already rejecting the forces of white supremacist, cis-heteropatriarchal, wildly exploitative, post-industrial capitalism. This is good news and bad news because it means that the system has a vested interest in preventing you from doing either. It will try to steal your body's freedom to rest and love and feel safe. It will try to block you from turning toward other people's difficult experiences mm-hmm. with kindness and compassion. Mm-hmm. A lot of what we talk about on the podcast is how oppressive systems sneak into our lives and especially into our ability to practice care. And we talk about the ways to eradicate it. So one, wellness is a state of action. Two, the cure for burnout isn't self-care. It's all of us caring for each other. And three, when we embrace these two things, we are not taking a break from fixing the world. We are fixing the world. Yep, doing the thing. My husband's summary for this is when I read him all that the first time, he said, you're the opposite of lean in. You're like lean Lean on. Yeah. Yeah. He's a smarty. So let's talk about sleep. Sleep. Which is, is it the most important thing? Yeah, it's the most important thing. It's the most important. It's the foundation. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So first of all, let's find out if you're arrested. You ready? Here's the pop quiz. After a big meal, you should feel full. Mm -hmm. If you're sitting in a hot room, you should feel hot. If you are stuck in a boring meeting, you should feel bored. If these things make you feel sleepy, you're probably carrying a sleep debt. Sleep debt is what researchers and medical providers call the accumulation of the need to sleep. Sleep Mm -hmm. is a drive, a biological need without which you can quite literally die. It is hard to die of sleep deprivation. Your brain will steal micro sleeps Mm -hmm. to feed it sleep starved system. So you could be sitting in class, blip out, and you don't even know how you got to what the person is saying at the front of the room. Mm -hmm. You could be sitting on the bus and blip out. It can happen while you drive. Mm -hmm. But the cost of sleep deprivation accumulates and it erodes your immune system and other organ systems. It shortens your life Mm -hmm. and makes you miserable and unpleasant to be around. So we'll put a link in the show notes to the Epworth sleepiness scale so you can rate your own sleepiness. But here are a few examples to get you started. One, if there's a chance you might doze off while you're watching TV, you might have a sleep debt. If there's a chance you might slip into sleep while you're sitting somewhere in public, you probably have a substantial sleep debt. If you notice yourself feeling drowsy while you're stopped at a red light when you are the driver, you are Dangerously, dangerously sleep deprived. You're going to kill somebody. These are the kinds of things sleep doctors ask about when assessing sleep. And it's important to look at behaviors rather than simply asking, how's your sleep? Or do you feel rested? Because one of the tricky things about right. sleep is that most people have no idea what right. it feels like to be fully rested because right. they've rarely gotten adequate sleep right. their whole adult lives. Another tricky thing uh, is that there's surprisingly little relationship between feeling rested and being rested. This Mm. is the big thing that I learned. Uh, One reason for this is that when you're underslept, you haven't got enough sleep, so your stress response kicks in. It gives you a jolt of adrenaline to mask the fatigue so you get through the day. So sleep deprivation can kind of act like alcohol. alcohol. Yeah. Just as a person who's been drinking, maybe too impaired to know how impaired they are. Give me the keys. I'm fine, <laughs> man. Give me the key. Just so they they don't know how impaired they are. And a sleep deprived person also is not going to know how sleep deprived they are because their stress response is masking just how tired they really are. And they just because they don't know they're impaired doesn't mean they are any less impaired. Right. They're just more dangerous because they don't know. Because they're in denial, yeah. And even the kinds of impairment we experience from sleep and alcohol are the same. Reduced reaction time, Mm -hmm. 
uh, impaired critical thinking, <laughs> worse physical coordination, worse emotion regulation, diminished social intelligence and learning ability. Hey. If you've ever acted like a dumbass a little bit when you had an extra drink or two, you could be doing all those things if you are also sleep deprived. Yeah. Oh, that sucks. So a person who's been awake for 19 hours... Uh, so that's you woke up at 7 a.m. and now it's 2 a.m. Have you ever done that? Mm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That person awake for Me? No, not for a long time because. <laughs> not anymore, but like back in the day before you knew. 15 years ago. Awake for 19 hours. That's a person who's as impaired as a person who's legally drunk. Point one blood Would not pa- pass a breathalyzer test. Mm-hmm. A person who got four or fewer hours of sleep last night, similarly impaired. Ditto for a person who's had six or fewer hours of sleep every night for the last two weeks. Six hours of sleep every night for two weeks. That just feels like standard operating practice. For a lot of people. For most of my students, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So, so that those are people who are as impaired as someone who is legally intoxicated. Have you ever uh, gone to work on four hours of sleep? 100%. Yeah. Have you ever gone to work drunk? <laughs> no. no. <laughs> Not. No. <laughs> I have... When I was a student, I was having some severe problems, and I did once take a drink for rehearsal, a little like because it was whatever. <laughs> I was a little but, it, but like it was clearly no. evidence that something was going was wrong. Something was really wrong, right? And I was like seeking help. Yes, it was Whereas in the middle of a disaster. Going to work for four hours <laughs> on four hours of sleep is no. That's just like a okay. I just I have to do. Yeah. I have to push through. I have to crank through. Do you ever? Do you I, ever? It never signaled to me like something is very wrong. You need to fix your life right now. Whereas if I'm thinking about drinking before going to work, you're like that. Recognize that that is a problem. <laughs> right. Yeah. Do you ever go to a kid event when you've gotten less than six hours every night for two weeks? Yeah, hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Would Would you go to a kids event drunk? No, no, no. I would never even know. No, no, no. No matter what kind of disaster no your what life kind was. of disaster my life was, never. I would absolutely never not. show up to a kid thing. No, never. Like your kids play. No. Never. Like, I'm just going to have a couple of drinks before I go to this <laughs> no to way. get me through. No way. No way. <laughs> but would I absolutely not even recognize the fact that I was sleep deprived before I went and perhaps be impaired and, like, say something socially inappropriate to someone I was sitting near? Yeah. <laughs> no, this is not at all a real life example. So, and our point is anything you wouldn't do drunk, which includes driving, doing homework, mm-hmm. going to work, mm-hmm. parenting. <laughs> Don't do it if you're not rested. And many of the harmful consequences of inadequate sleep are reversible just by getting more sleep. So let's look at the sleep you're actually getting and compare it to, I'm going to call it ideal Ideal. sleep. So here's what ideal sleep looks like. In an ideal world, and I know the world is not ideal, but in an ideal world, you would go to bed and wake up at the same time every day, including weekends. You would fall asleep within 10 to 30 minutes, definitely less than 30 minutes of turning off the light. You would sleep for seven to nine hours every night, depending on what your individual needs are overall as an organism, but also on that particular day. And you'd wake up without an alarm, feeling rested. Is is anybody's life like that? In every every workshop, there's always a handful of people who nod in satisfaction. They know (laughs) that they prioritize sleep. They are not themselves unless they do it. And so they do whatever it takes to make sure they get the sleep they need. And then there's the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah. So our lives generally are not are not ideal. Fortunately, your sleep does not have to be ideal. It does not have to be perfect. It just has to be good enough. enough. And small changes can make a big difference. Way more than you think it can. 
Better still, a lot of individual differences in our sleep kind of personality mm -hmm. mean that your ideal sleep is not going to look like someone else's. Mm -hmm. So we're going to talk about that more. But like, let's talk about what the absolute bare minimum bare minimum no matter who sleep. you are, no matter what your sleep personality is, you need you need at least four consecutive hours of sleep every night, and then use naps and weekend sleep like binges to pay off the sleep debt. Again, four hours is not enough. But, but four hours in a row every day is the absolute bare minimum in order not to be a danger to yourself and others. Yeah, as long as you're making up for with naps and binges on the weekends. Right. Um, and we talked about this with a group of midwives. Yeah. I was talking about ideal <laughs> sleep and someone raised her hand and was like, you know, we're, you know midwives. we're midwives, right? And I was like, yes, that's and why it's important that you know. Four hour chunk. Four hour chunk. No matter what. And no then you get yet. the rest of it, however works for you. Yeah. Uh, so four hours is consecutive. And then allow yourself to wake up spontaneously Anytime you don't have an obligation in the morning. Uh, and three. For parents, that's never, but cool. Yeah, but like, you know, if, if you have that chance, let that happen. Uh, and if you don't fall asleep within 30 minutes, get up and do something relaxing that doesn't expose your eyes to too much light. So if you fall asleep as soon as your head hits the pillow. You were already asleep. Yeah, you're you so sleep deprived, you were basically asleep before yeah. you laid down. Mm -hmm. If it's taking more than 30 minutes, that's an indication that... Something more significant is happening with your sleep, and we're going to talk about tips for how to fall asleep later. But the ideal range is like in the 20 minute, 10 to 20 minutes, definitely not more than half an hour. Okay, so let's talk about sleep personality. Sleep is a drive, meaning if you don't get it, you can literally die. Mm -hmm. But people vary in how they need to meet their sleep needs. It's not just how much they need, but what time of day their bodies are inclined to sleep and what external factors can knock their sleep out of whack. Thing number one, quantity. I'm sure you've all heard the eight hours advice, and that is the generic advice that many of us grew up learning. But the thing is, our needs vary from person to person, and they change across our lifespan. Our greatest sleep need is, of course, when we are newborn infants. Newborns need 14 to 17 hours of sleep per day, and sometimes more exactly. And that gradually diminishes through childhood and into adolescence. But even at college age, that's mm -hmm. 18 to 24, the average amount of sleep we need is more than nine hours. Yeah. Only in full adulthood, which we reach in our mid-20s neurologically, does our sleep need diminish to that standard seven to nine hours that you'll hear us saying over and over again. And people vary within that seven to nine hours. I, this is Emily, I'm a seven and a half to seven and three quarters hour sleeper, mm -hmm. plus a little napping here and there. Mm -hmm. And Amelia... Fully nine hours. She needs to be in bed for nine hours. If she only gets eight, she feels the difference and many of the people around her do too. How much sleep do you personally need? You have to start by getting enough sleep to feel rested, which will at first involve not just getting the amount of sleep you need, but also paying off your sleep debt, sleeping extra. And then you'll need a couple of weeks reliably sleeping, and then you'll be able to gauge, are you getting adequate sleep? Yeah. And one of the barriers to doing this is the expectation that eight hours should, should be, be enough. enough for you. You need eight hours of sleep. So if you're getting eight hours of sleep and you're still tired like I was my whole life thinking, I got eight hours of sleep. Why am I so tired? Well, it's because it's normal to need nine hours of sleep. I thought that I was just somehow some lazy. Kind of something wrong with you. Some terrible, broken mess of a person. Like, duh, if someone had just told me, hey, it's seven to nine hours is normal, I would have been like, oh, it's normal. Yeah. That would have made everything so much easier. So, and hey, if you need nine hours of sleep, that's normal. You're not lazy. You're not broken. You're not a slug. I have a sort of like seven and a half hour privilege. Yeah. People hear that I sleep seven and a half hours and yeah. are like, oh, good for you. 
Yeah. There was a news story a few months back. The scientists discovered a woman who genuinely only needs four hours of sleep. And it was in my news feed, like over and over again, this amazing miracle of a person who only needs four hours of sleep. Like she's better than regular people because she can be awake for so much long. Why is that? No, she's a biological aberration. Yeah. And like the rest of us are, it's fine. If we need more sleep, it's okay. Yeah. Another way that there is sort of sleep style privilege is in chronotype. You might know this as larks and owls, morning people and night people. Uh Um, And it's another part of your sleep personality. It's about the time of day your body hormonally is ready for sleep and hormonally when it's ready to wake up and be out of bed. Larks reliably wake up spontaneously before 6 a.m. and want to be asleep around 9 p.m., Owls wake closer to 10 a.m. and don't feel ready to sleep until after midnight. The majority of people are somewhere between 6 a.m. and 10 a.m. and between 9 p.m. and midnight. The majority of people somewhere. And then there's a handful of people who are at the extremes. In addition to your basic chronotype, we want to make sure we recognize that age also influences your body's sleep-wake times. Mm -hmm. Adolescents are phase-delayed, which Mm -hmm. means that they're more like owls. And as we age into neurological adulthood, our sleep phases shift earlier. So college late nights are not just a matter of like culture or personal choice. They're also shaped by the sleep-wake cycles of late adolescence. And this is a thing that we all know, like teenagers like to stay up late and sleep in the morning. But it's not... That's not like rebellion. That's their brain chemistry. Exactly. Do you know what your chronotype is? (laughs) How do you find out what your chronotype is? Some people really don't know because their lifestyles don't allow them to follow their body's natural rhythm. We We have to end the age thing by making sure we say that as you age, those of us who are lucky enough to get to our senior years will continue to drift larkward until we are phase advanced yeah. versus phase delayed. Yeah. And you're like eating dinner at four in the afternoon and going to bed at eight o'clock. Yeah. I aspire to that life. I, I'm on my way, man. I can already feel my body changing. <laughs> Me too. Oh, yeah. Over the last 20 Over years. Over the last 15. Has absolutely yeah, changed. absolutely. So uh, the way you find out what your chronotype is, you uh, notice when your body naturally wants to be asleep and when it wants to be awake, which means going to bed when you're tired regardless of how much work you have to do or yeah. what demands your family is making yeah. and waking up spontaneously without an alarm. Yeah. It means paying <laughs> attention to you and your experience. And prioritizing that. And prioritizing that despite the world's demands that you not do that at all ever. And as with determining how much sleep you need, at first your body's going to binge on sleep. Right. Like it's been starving. And you're so it's just going to take... Deprived, so you're probably yeah. just going to... You're going to be like, well, I just need to sleep all the time. What's wrong with me? But still, you probably have a sense of when your body wants to sleep and when it wants to wake up, right? Most people have way more sense than I ever did. Yeah. You know, when you wake up at 10 in the morning, those are the days when you feel great, when you are rocking it. Right. And you have you're might be a person who, like, I'm going to go to bed early, and you go to bed at 9 o'clock, and you just lie there staring lie there. at the ceiling for two hours. Why am I in bed? Because hormonally, your body's like, this is like a peak work time. Why yeah. are we just lying here? But somebody told me I'm supposed to go to bed at 9 and wake up at 6, so that's what I'm trying to do. But I just, when I do that, I just lay here and do nothing. And hmm. again, I'm, this is Emily, I'm a lark. I wake up spontaneously most of the time between five and six. And people are like, oh, wow, that's so good for you. So good for you. I mean, people make YouTube videos about like, I woke up at five o'clock every day for 30 days. And here's how it changed my life. Like there's something special and great about it. I want somebody to make a YouTube video of I spent 30 days letting my body sleep and wake when it really wanted to. And here's how it changed my life. But of course, people can't do that because we have to structure our sleep around our work. And because, because late capitalism, because of the Industrial Revolution, 
we're supposed to shape our sleep around our work because our work matters so much more than our humanity. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. So you might notice that the right time to sleep has nothing to do with the right time in your life. In the structure of your every day. You have to be at work at 7 a.m. You have to stay at work until 11 p.m. I once worked a second shift job, which oh. was from 3 to 11 p.m. I lasted three months. Yeah. I also worked as a barista and had to be at work at, you know, five or six in the morning. Yeah. And that was great. I yeah. was there for a year. Yeah. Yeah. You also have had jobs that did or did not fit your... Yeah, I taught high school and I had to be at work at seven, which means I had to leave my house at 6.30, which means I was up at 5.30 every day for five years. And um, that was not awesome for me. So, and I mean, I lasted, I lasted five years, but... Man, as soon as I went back to grad school, my sleep schedule totally reverted back to what it was supposed to be. My um, college students all get to college and they think, an 8 a.m. class, that'll be so easy. I'm used to being at school at 7. This is going to be cake. I just have to roll out of bed at 7.45 and shuffle the class in my pajamas. And they find that 8 a.m. is actually really hard for them (laughs) because even though it's better than their high school schedule, it's still not what their body wants or needs. Yeah, in grad school. My in 2003, I had an 8 a.m. class mm-hmm. and it was it was rough. Yeah. Like I was awake, but I was not intellectually like. Wait, they put graduate classes at 8 a.m.? Yep. Usually it's like freshman, sophomore mandatory classes get nah. put at 8 a.m. Oh, so that sucks. yes, if you can change your life to match your body's needs, great. That is a path of privilege. We get that. Not everybody can just like leave their job and find one that matches their chronotype. Mm-hmm. So the question necessarily comes up, can you change your chronotype? And the oh. short answer is... Uh, by an hour or maybe two. Mm-hmm. And you can sustain that shift for a while. Mm-hmm. The simple way to do that is simply to um, sort of shift your body gradually or else force it all of a sudden to get into bed at one time, get out of bed at that time, uh, retain that schedule rigidly. And really, it's only going to work within an hour or two of your natural body type. Any more than that, you're just going to be fighting against your body, which sometimes you have to do and that's fine, mm-hmm. but that's that's the situation. Yeah. The most important thing to take away from the sleep personality issues is that there is no shame in being not a lark. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, I would get this saying stuck in my head. I'm sure you've heard that early to bed, early to rise, make men healthy, wealthy, and wise. Because those are the three things that matter. Right. Health, wealth, and wisdom in that order. And also, like, the fact that it rhymes and is metrical means that, oh, it must be real. It must be true. It sticks in my head. Therefore, it must be a fact. Um, But I couldn't do it. So at some level, I just believed that this made me broken, fundamentally flawed, and that I would never be healthy, wealthy, or wise. And it turned out I was just an owl, and lots of people are. So unfortunately for all of us owls, the world is built around and for larks. Bankers' hours are for larks. And they're lucky, and that kind of lark privilege allows them to fit more easily uh, into society's schedule, whereas owls are forced to fit into an unnatural schedule where we're just not going to be doing our best work at the most productive times. Our employers are missing out. Duh! On our best work. It makes me so mad. Because they require me to be at my desk when I should be sleeping. And hormonally, you are. <laughs> yeah. For real. So maybe the world is too complicated. It's just you and your sleepy brain drinking coffee and pretending. I'm, I mean, I'm sitting at my desk. <laughs> I'm at work. I'm physically where I'm supposed to be, when I'm supposed to be there. But am I doing a good job? 
it would be great if the world could compensate and allow everybody to be this flexible. But look, capitalism is complicated and it's probably not flexible enough to accommodate like the natural schedules and cycles of every individual. Um, but maybe we can at least end the judgments right. associated with sleep needs. Larks are not nerds. Owls are not jocks. Right. This is not a high school classroom. We're all just doing the best we can with the resources that we have available. And those resources sometimes are just our genetic predispositions. Yeah. So if you do nothing else after listening to this podcast to improve your own sleep, maybe one thing you can still do is be completely welcoming and not judgmental of other people's different sleep needs, including your family members and your children and your spouse and your mother-in-law. And yourself. Yeah. So the first sleep need was how much sleep. The second sleep need was uh, at what times. And the third sleep need is sleep continuity. And this is one where capitalism has very much fucked us over. Do you need your eight hours in a row every night? And any daytime sleep just makes it harder for you to fall asleep in the night. It's not everyone's a natural napper. Do you tend to sleep Most short? It's Mo- a small majority. Yeah, but a small a majority. majority. Many people are nappers. Do you tend to sleep short at night and then pay off your sleep debt with a midday nap? Or maybe you fall asleep early, you have your first sleep, as it was called, and then wake for a while in the middle of the night and sleep again, which gets called your second sleep. To what extent any of these patterns are genetic or even stays the same across a person's adult life? I don't know. But I do know that they can all be healthy. When you look at the research, the thing that's predictive of health is that a person is getting enough hours for themselves and has one chunk of four hours in a row and then gets the rest of their sleep in a way that works for your body. Mm -hmm. We tend to think of the solid eight hours as normal and the other styles as somehow problematic or uh, morally not as great, but that is not at all the case. It is specifically the Industrial Revolution and the Mm -hmm. factory whistle that shaped, it forced, it consolidated our sleep into this one eight-hour chunk instead of being spaced out more through the day. But we know that students who nap in the middle of the day, for example, remember more of what they learned in the morning than those who stay awake all day. I often told my students that napping can be a better way to study than trying to study when you're sleep deprived. Mm -hmm. Sleep deprivation makes your brain like slippery. Mm -hmm. So when your professor throws facts at your brain, like it just like slips right off. (laughs) So you might as well just sleep and give your brain a chance to consolidate what you did learn. Yeah, turn it back into Instead of trying to like. Yeah. Yeah. So the first sleep, second sleep dynamic is actually a throwback to the pre-industrial sleep patterns when people slept according to their body rhythms Mm -hmm. and the solar system Mm -hmm. instead of the rhythms of the factory clock. Mm -hmm. Jane Eyre. My favorite book. Jane refers to her first sleep. She's talking to Rochester about a dream she had Mm -hmm. and she woke up out of her sleep and she doesn't have to explain what she means by first sleep because it was just understood that a person would wake in the middle of the night and fall back asleep later. It's called biphasic sleep, and, and it normal. is normal. Yeah. So which of those is the right sleep for you? Uh, you're the one who knows the answer to that question. Okay, so those are the three characteristics of your sleep personality, which will shape how you can make sleep work in your life. The second thing we're going to talk about is napping. Oh, let's talk about napping because that's part of the sleep continuity piece. Okay, so napping, go. My favorite way of sleeping when I was in grad school was like five or six shitty hours of sleep at night, tossing and turning miserable. And then like a three hour nap from one to four in the afternoon. Um, That was fantastic for me. And then I would get to a point in my life when my life was so busy that I would be getting maybe four hours of sleep and then trying to get a nap. And I'd wake up from the nap and think, 
well, I'm more tired now than I was than before I took the nap. And my students say this all the time. Well, if I nap, I just wake up more tired. I slept too much and I woke up more tired than when I fell asleep. And one of the things I learned, the most important thing I think I learned when we were writing the book is that that thing back when you're sleep deprived and your stress response fills you with adrenaline and makes you feel like you're not exhausted in order to keep you alive, that state is reversed when you take a nap. When you start to pay off your sleep debt by getting more sleep, your body's like, oh, okay, you're rested enough now that I don't have to go in full on stress mode. I can not be pumping adrenaline through you all the time. So now you can actually feel how tired you actually are. So even though you are less tired, you feel much more, more tired. tired. Yeah. So sometimes people resist napping because they feel worse. One of the reasons you can feel worse from a nap Mm -hmm. is because uh, you paid off enough sleep debt for your stress response to go down, which is healthy. It's good for you. Good for you. Yeah, but but it feels shitty. Ironically, you can now feel how sleep deprived you always were all along. Yeah. So Um, now your body has decided it's safe for you to feel just how how tired you are. How tough your body is right now. Okay. So that's not a reason not to nap. So how long should you nap? There's really sort of three kinds of naps. The standard advice is the 20-minute nap. I think 10 to 30 minutes is sort of like my standard nap. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's great. There's research that shows that it can improve everything. If you're doing a 10 to 30-minute nap, this is the caffeine nap length that's recommended. If you've read the research about like coffee napping... I am not recommending coffee napping. I'm saying it's a thing that some people want to do. The reason it works is because it takes about 20 to 30 minutes for the caffeine to make its way from your stomach into your bloodstream. And so by the time you wake up, the caffeine will be there waiting for you. And yes, that can be an effective way. Is this where you drink a cup of coffee and then Before take a nap, nap and yeah. then you wake up and now you're caffeinated? Yeah. That seems like a terrible idea. <laughs> well, some people are desperate. Yeah. The... Second kind of napping is like just like a big nap, like your three-hour nap. A sleep cycle is roughly 90 minutes long. So a three-hour nap is two Two complete sleep cycles. cycles. And I'm a fan of the micro nap. When we were writing, when I was writing all my books, there would come a point in the afternoon when my body would just be like, glide down and lie. And I would go over to the guest bed in the room where I was writing and lie down and blip out for five minutes five minutes, maybe less. And when I came back, I would feel so much better. All that fatigue and the heaviness would be gone and I'd be back to a good brain state. So micronapping. See, that's the thing that I never thought actually mattered or had an impact. Totally can. Turns out like a five minute just laying down and relaxing is also just, I mean, good for you in different ways and solves different problems than the three hour nap, but is... Yeah. Still a valid way to keep going when you got to. And this is where I insert the sort of red flag caveat. Again, sleep is a drive. And here's the thing. Drowsiness is not the first thing that happens on your path to sleep. It is the last Last thing that happens before you fall asleep. If you feel drowsy, you are almost asleep. You're about to fall asleep. You should stop whatever you are doing Mm -hmm. and just sleep. Like if you feel drowsy, that is the moment to ask yourself, should I be doing this or should I be sleeping? And the answer is always I should be sleeping, sleeping, right? Like if you're feeling drowsy, watching TV before you go to bed. Your eyes are drooping. Should I be doing? No, you should turn off the TV and just go to bed. bed. Yeah. If you are driving 
and feeling drowsy. Mm-hmm. Should I be doing this or should mm-hmm. I be sleeping? You could should kill someone, yeah. including yourself. So please, like, whatever it takes, get yourself to a place where you can lie down and close your eyes. And often, amazingly, just a few minutes can make an enormous difference in your level of restedness. This is the way William C. DeMent, who wrote this wonderful book, The Promise of Sleep, the way he puts it is, drowsiness is a red alert. Drowsiness is a red alert. You are almost asleep. Should you be doing this while you're asleep? No. (laughs) Stop doing it in sleep. Drowsiness is a red alert. And literally lives depend on this. So Mm -hmm. let me say it one more time. Drowsiness is a red alert. That's Star Trek red alert. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Micronaps. Micronaps. Seriously. They're a real thing. They actually work. Yeah. Let's talk about the woman who asked us a question at one of the talks we gave. We were talking at one of the big tech companies that's very world-renowned for having, like, napping facilities. Nap pods. In the office. And she said, well, I've got this situation going on with my family, blah, blah, blah. So, no, I don't get enough sleep. And Emily said, well, don't you have those nap pods here? I was reading about it in the news, how, you know, forward thinking this whole company Silicon is Valley, to, blah, blah. to promote this more open-minded approach to sleep, this non-factory style approach to getting work done. And she was like, yeah, no, we that no, it would be unprofessional to go nap during the day. I think she literally said, like, maybe a white guy could do that. Yeah. But and, this was a woman of color working in tech. Yeah. So... The thing that was standing in her way was not even the infrastructure of her building. It was technically available. It was available to her, but there was still shame associated with actually needing sleep and using facilities that had been made available specifically to solve this problem. Yeah. So the only thing standing in her way was this sense of shame that was overhanging her. I would say that it's bigger than that. Yes, it's not not internalized. It's that she was actually judged. Right, yes. Using the nap facilities was viewed as, like, weakness and failure. Right. It's not that she's carrying shame that she... It's that people shamed her. Like, what's wrong with her for being ashamed? No, 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 no. Whereas what I wanted... comes from somewhere. ...was for there to be, like, an honor guard that escorted her to the nap pods and, like, stood... Yes. Our leader is taking a nap, and she's going to be better for all of us. So much more creative. Yes. So much more pleasant to be around. Yeah. And she's going to be happier and her humanity matters and it will be improved. Yes. So we're going to stand here and protect. This is 20 minutes. So don't anybody judge. Don't yeah. anybody The yell. most important thing any of us could be doing is supporting this human being yeah. and fulfilling her basic bodily Celebrate requirements. Yes. Everyone's rest. We recommend creating cultures where people's rest is celebrated the way they're Birthdays are celebrated. Yes. There is this long history in poetry and art of comparing sleep to death. Yeah. And that is the opposite of yeah. how it is. No. Sleep is a celebration right. of life. Yes. And intellect and creativity. And energy. Yeah. And pleasure and yeah. peace and happiness. Sleep yeah. is all of those things. It is not possible without those things. And capitalism has filled you with guilt. Yeah. As though this physical need is a moral failing. That's so fucked up. So I'm going to talk more about like technical ways of napping. But really the barrier we know from the conversations we've had is not knowing how to nap or wanting to nap, but feeling judged. Yes. Being judged. Feeling morally obliged to give. For doing it and even for having the need to do it. Yes. Even for having the need. Oh, boy. 
And we talked in the uh, other arrest episode about the ways that judgment is unevenly distributed. Yes. Um, with more judgment of women and especially more judgment of women of color. Yes. Napping, rest is the revolution. Yeah. Napping. Uh, okay. So what time of day do you, do you nap? You know how you have a chronotype that says what time your body hormonally wakes up and what time hormonally your body wants to be asleep? There's a space right in the middle there where your body wants to be asleep. For larks, this is going to be earlier. For larks, it's going to be one or two in the afternoon. For most people, it's going to be between three and five. For owls, it's going to be five or six or seven is going to be their ideal nap time. This is when your sleep debt has accumulated over the course of the day and the hormonal kick in the morning that woke you up has now faded, but your afternoon second wind kick has not yet kicked in. So your body naturally feels fatigued. If you are a natural napper, 40% of people are not natural nappers. They just need to protect their sleep at night. Mm -hmm. If you are a natural napper, there is no more productive way for you to spend your time than napping. Mm -hmm. Anything else we need to say about? So we talked about when. We talked about how long. We talked about why you... Oh, another reason why you might feel shitty after napping, there's the... Your stress response went down and so your body feels how tired it is. But then there's also the evil length of nap, which is about 45 minutes. Because a sleep cycle is about an hour and a half long, you sort of go down into like the deepest level of sleep and then back up. So at 45 minutes, if your alarm goes off, you have to drag your consciousness up out of like the deepest levels of sleep and you get, I I call it a sleep hangover. I think technically it's called sleep latency. Mm -hmm. I could have that wrong. So that's another reason why napping can make you feel worse. But even the worst kind of nap still improves all of the functions that are made worse by sleep deprivation. Right. So I sometimes get paranoid about, like, if I have a three-hour block in which to nap, what if I lay there awake for an hour and then I fall asleep for 45 minutes and then I wake up because there's a sharp noise and then I don't have enough time to go back to sleep again and complete another sleep cycle? And I'm worried, like, oh, is this nap going to be effective? Yes. Because it was, yeah, it's still it's still fine. You should still get that nap. It's not the best, but get the nap if you can. Still better than not resting. Still better, even the shittiest nap, better than no nap. Yeah. It's like pizza. It's like pizza. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think sleep is better than pizza. Yes. And the last thing I want to say about napping is that some people are like, no, if I go to take a nap, I just lie there and I never really fall asleep. Oh, yeah. Uh, and so, like, why even bother? Here's the thing. Sleep researchers are cruel, vicious people. (laughs) Cruel, cruel, vicious people. When they have someone in the laboratory with their brain all hooked up to machines and stuff. Or they're uh, already, like, feeling terrible. Right. So they're in the bed, in the laboratory, all hooked up, and the researcher's in another room watching their brain behavior on the scan machine there. And when the researcher sees that they have slipped neurologically, they are definitely asleep. You Mm -hmm. can see it in the way their brain waves have changed. Mm -hmm. Uh, when the person is definitely asleep, asleep, the researcher will hit the microphone and say, uh, I'm sorry, there's just one more thing we forgot, mm-hmm. and wake the person up. Mm-hmm. What people say is not, hey, I just fell asleep. What they say is, hey, I was about to fall asleep. I was about to fall asleep. I was so almost asleep. It could be that if you're lying there being like, I'm not, I'm almost asleep, you actually did fall asleep. You might be asleep. Yeah. So even if all you do is go and lay down, for half an hour, you're probably getting more rest than you think you are. Yeah. So it's worthwhile. It's worthwhile. Even if you feel like you didn't even fall asleep. The worst nap, better than no nap. Even if that nap includes no sleep, as far as you're, as far as you're consciously, consciously concerned. Aware, yeah. Okay. 
So that's our sleep episode. That's a good one. It's important. It's a ton of actual information. Yeah. With context setting of like, yeah, you get chained for this shit. You yeah. have to do it anyway. Yeah. Because your body really matters. And if you're interested in learning more about the perspective of how capitalism is harming, especially people of color, but everybody in a capitalist society really is harmed by this uh, stigma against sleep, please follow the NAP ministry on social media. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the NAP ministry. NAP ministry. Yeah. At the NAP ministry. At the NAP ministry. We love them so much. Yeah. Doing, doing the work that's important. So that was this episode of the Feminist Survival Project. I'm Emily Nagoski. And I'm Amelia Nagoski. We wrote this episode. Mm -hmm. Whatever music you hear was written by me. And uh, it was edited by my marital euphemism. You can follow us on social media at FSP2020 on Twitter and Instagram. Feel free to email us, feministsurvivalproject2020 at gmail.com. And let us know how much sleep do you need? Yeah. When did you figure out that you're allowed to sleep? Was it just now? (laughs) Was it reading burnout? Was it writing burnout, Amelia? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So let us know. We're super excited about this. And do you have a bubble of people in your life who celebrate your sleep, who when you come in and say, I got nine hours of sleep, they're not like, oh, that must be so nice for you. Self-care is so important. But they're like, yes! Woo! Girl. (laughs) That's the world we want to create. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much for listening. And so they do whatever it takes to make sure they get the sleep they need. And then there's the rest of us. (laughs) Yeah.